Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A lithium boom is gaining steam as the metal is in high demand for the growing electric vehicle market. There are significant reserves of the element in the United States, and most of it is on or near tribal land. Mining lithium is a hugely destructive process, and plans to increase mining in the U.S. has several tribes concerned. One of the first battlegrounds is in Nevada, where tribes are on both sides of a proposed lithium mining project. We'll hear more about what that means coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous investigators in Alberta say they've found evidence of genocide at the site of a former Indian residential school. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, they've released a preliminary document into missing children and unmarked graves at the former Blue Quills Residential School. The Achinawino Paspu Society says its investigators have uncovered physical and documented evidence, and the report includes allegations that a so-called disciplinarian who worked at the school from 1935 to 1942 was seen killing indigenous children. The society said information came from intergenerational survivors whose parents witnessed the homicides. The accused died in 1968. Leah Redcrow of the society also says many children died after they were forced to drink unpasteurized milk contaminated with bovine tuberculosis. Redcrow says it was deliberate because school administrators were not dying and they didn't eat the same food as the children. Red Crow says ground-penetrating radar was used on the site last autumn. When it was accidentally excavated, the excavator found a bunch of uh, little skeletons piled on top of each other. And the, um, actually, the GPR uh, also confirmed that it's um, only 20 centimeters below the surface of the ground. We don't know how exactly how many children are in the mass grave yet, uh, but we do plan to excavate the mass grave uh, as, our, as our investigation progresses. Red Crow says work is still underway to determine how many children disappeared. She says her group is actively investigating the deaths of at least 200 residential school children who never returned home. Over the past year, hundreds of unmarked graves have been discovered at former residential school sites in British Columbia and Saskatchewan. The government-funded church-run schools operated across Canada from the late 1800s to the late 1900s. About 150,000 Native children were taken from their families and forced to attend the schools. Thousands were abused. Many died. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Another hearing is expected in the next couple of weeks on a controversial election policy bill in North Dakota. The plan calls for requiring proof of citizenship for residents to vote. As Mike Moen reports, Native voters are raising concerns. It adds more burdens to the many voting challenges they already face. The sponsor of the bill says there are situations where people feel they're qualified to vote despite not holding citizenship. But opponents say there have been instances where people's status has been questioned at the polls and they weren't offered a chance to correct it through options like provisional ballots. Meanwhile, Colette Brown, a member of the Spirit Lake Nation, says a proposal like this only adds to the burdens Native American voters often face. Native voters often have to overcome geographical remote isolation, poverty. Brown offered that testimony during a hearing last week, noting those are some of the many factors that leave Native voters feeling disenfranchised. Secretary of State Michael Howe testified that he supports the intent behind the proposal, 
but warned there could be unintended consequences. North Dakota doesn't have voter registration, instead requiring an ID. Last fall, the state attorney general issued an opinion saying poll workers couldn't demand a proof of citizenship. The bill is now referred to the Senate, State, and Local Government Committee. The committee chair says another hearing is likely later this month or in early February. That was Mike Moen reporting. Chickasaw classical composer Jared Tate is preparing for a Carnegie Hall performance in March featuring Chickasaw astronaut John Harrington. Apollo chamber players will present Tate's Moonstrike, which is narrated by Harrington. Tate is an Emmy-winning composer, and Harrington is the first enrolled tribal citizen to go to space. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The fate of the country's largest planned lithium mine now rests in the hands of a federal judge. The proposed mine is located near Nevada's Thacker Pass, also known in Paiute as Pihimahu, a sacred site for many tribes. Lithium is a metal whose value is booming because of the growing demand for batteries used in electric vehicles. Some tribes are suing the Bureau of Land Management for what they claim is fast-tracking the environmental review of the mine at the expense of cultural and environmental treasures. But proponents of the mine cite the economic benefits for their communities. Today we'll talk with tribal leaders and others from the area about the proposed mine and what it would mean to them if it were to go through. But we also want to hear from you. Are you a tribal member with cultural ties to Thacker Pass? Is there a proposed mine in your community that parallels this one? Or maybe you drive an EV and have some thoughts to share about lithium mining projects. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also post on our social media. Our Twitter handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now is Chairman Arlen Melendez. He is the chairman of the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. Chairman Melendez, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Chairman, the future of a proposed lithium mine in Thacker Pass now rests in the hands of a federal judge, as we just mentioned. What more can anyone do at this point, whether they're in favor or opposed to the mine? Well, we're waiting to see uh, what the decision will be, which uh, uh, the last court hearing we attended, they said probably about six to eight weeks. So we're going to see what the decision is there, then kind of go from there. Now, what are the main reasons that the tribe considers this proposed mine destructive? Well, I think it, uh, you know, what we see across the United States is uh, 
you know, the destruction of sacred sites uh, to tribal lands, whether it's water, uh, wildlife. And I think we're seeing that, uh, you know, through the mining uh, issues, through the 1872 mining law, which gives, you know, them the right to just mine anywhere. Uh, very little you can do about it, but to hold them to, um, to the laws, you know, like NEPA and uh, the National Historic Preservation Act and those different things, which require consultation so that the tribes have a say in uh, mitigating issues. And so uh, the, uh, we're contending that failed to happen in this uh, particular project of Thacker Pass. Now, is that what uh, prompted the lawsuit? Yes, yes, it did. Uh, you know, the, um, there was a massacre upon that area and in, uh, you know, in the 1800s. And, um, and we're concerned that, uh, you know, mining really doesn't really care about uh, uh, those type things and are just going to proceed without really getting input from the tribes as to, you know, uh, listening to uh, our spiritual values and those type things that, that uh, we think should be included in the record of decision and all those different things that really weren't even considered. And we tried to get that into the court uh, court uh, hearing, but we were limited on certain certain things we could actually enter in. So, uh, uh, you know, it's very discouraging that we didn't really were notified in the first place. With the largest lithium uh, mine in the country, maybe even in the world, you would expect every tribe in the state of Nevada or even Oregon or California should be notified about that. You know what I mean? Not just the closest tribe, those type things, because it affects all of us. We all have relatives that uh, live up in McDermott, and and so we were nomadic tribes. So we moved around. So we have relatives in southern Nevada, McDermott, uh, different areas. So mm-hmm. so it's just uh, disheartening that uh, we didn't really get uh, uh, participation and consultation. Chairman, you mentioned a, a massacre uh, that occurred well over 100 years ago in the 1800s. Are you comfortable uh, talking more about that and, and sharing what exactly uh, transpired? Well, I think, uh, you know, some of the history uh, concerning those things, the BLM had access to some of those records, you know, the Calvary in uh, chasing down, uh, you know, 30 or so uh, men, women, and children in 1865 and in uh you know, it's been a long time ago, but it still is a sacred place to many of the Paiute uh, Shoshone people. And so, um, you know, it's important to us. And so uh, that that was the that was totally left out of the the record or even entered in. Which should and the the tribes are the ones that know about those uh, sacred places, not the federal government or the BLM, even though they can document what the Calvary did. But I think they have to have the Native American perspective as to, you know, uh, what we think about that. And do we still look at that area as sacred? And, um, you know, it shouldn't be disturbed. You know, it's like a cemetery, basically. And you shouldn't be, uh, you know, allowed to just dig up and and with no consideration at all to the tribal uh, uh, spirituality or point of view. Chairman, are there any monuments uh, in to memorialize this massacre or any other landmarks? I don't think there is. I know, uh, you know, uh, in the you know uh, 
you could get a designation, but you'd have to go through Congress to get uh, some type of monument, uh, you know. And I'm not even sure if the San Pass is at the Colorado uh, massacre that was there, whether or not that's a monument or not, you know. But that would take a lot of effort, on uh, which we don't have a lot of time to get that designation, you know, for that mm-hmm. particular area. Well, help us out with with a timeline uh, in in more recently. I mean, and when was this mine first proposed, and, and at what point uh, did your tribe get involved in, in fighting the proposal? Well, they had been working on it for a number of years. I think they say uh, uh, 2007 or something. They had done uh, did some exploration, which the tribes I don't even think knew that was actually happening. So they do a lot of pre exploration that without telling the tribes until they get to notifying you through the uh, Bureau of Land Management process, which leads to an environmental impact statement and a record of decision. And that's when you're supposed to uh, follow uh, the National Historic Preservation Act process, which has consultation in that. And, uh, you know, uh, so that's what we contend that wasn't really uh, followed and, there was no opportunity to at least uh, get your viewpoint uh, considered, even if they were to uh, ignore it, at least you'd be on the record. Uh, this isn't the first mining issue that Reno Sparks Inn and Colony has uh, addressed. About 20 years ago, we had a, a clay mine that was about a few miles from our reservation in Hungry Valley, just outside of Reno. So we went through the, the uh, environmental impact statement and we had a lot more opportunity to to uh, be included in our point of view with Washoe County, and and it's just the opposite on this one. And sometimes the different uh, Bureau of Land Managements, you know, they even though they're all a federal program, they operate differently, and some of them uh, really are are uh, you know consideration to the tribes, and some um, some don't. They have an attitude that they're not going to even uh, consider you. So, you know, it's just uh, they're not really on the same level when you're dealing with some of the Bureau land management offices, which are all over the place, you know. And the one that we're dealing with up in that region doesn't seem to be very good as far as sharing information and those type things with, with tribes. Now, Chairman, of course, on the other side of this issue is the increasing value uh, of lithium. It's a really, really hot commodity, as we all know. And um, I mean, potential economic benefits for tribes, for tribal members. Uh, what's your thought on that? Is it, is it, I mean, certainly that's something that, that could benefit a lot of folks if this mine were to go through. The uh, you know each tribe and we respect every tribe's sovereignty you know to make those decisions you know uh, my concern sometimes is that uh, that you know many tribes uh, don't have a lot of uh, revenue coming in they depend totally on the federal government and it's just like the land issues you know we when they uh, give you a certain amount of money uh, to pay you off for land at the value of the 1800s you know. Many tribes take that, and and basically, it, you, you know, no non-Indians would ever take land at the value of 1863 or whenever it was. But because Native Americans are in poverty mo- in most rural places, they're going to take whatever you give them. So, 
So what they do is they take advantage. They take advantage of our poverty. It's almost like the manifest destiny. One of their one of their plans is of how to gain access to tribal lands, and or or mining. You know, so it's nothing new to us that there's a strategy that's taken place to basically uh, take from us. You know, I don't care if it's the Black Hills in South Dakota or this this here. And then the other question is, how do tribes even benefit out of out of the millions of dollars that come out of Nevada in gold and silver and uh, even lithium? You know, some people are getting rich where the tribes are still in poverty and we never got a dime or even a percentage, even though there, there's some there's some uh, suggestions to try to get a percentage of the tax out of the state of Nevada, which might be hard to do, but it's it's a thought, you know. But and sometimes they give you uh, small incentives, you know, uh, some type of uh, incentives to take, and it's almost like buying you off. And uh, that that's uh, you know that's uh, really disturbing sometimes when uh, when the mining company strategy and they do that in rural Nevada too, not just the Indians. You know, the reason why the state of Nevada can't really tax uh, mining at higher levels is because they do a lot for Elko County and some of the rural areas for the towns themselves. You know, they'll build them certain things, and and pretty soon the townspeople like that direct uh, income that's coming from the mining companies. So if the state legislature tried to raise the mining tax, well, these rural counties would oppose it, you know, because the mines are doing— Maybe not, uh, Chairman. I'm sorry. We are we are going to have to take a break. I, I really do apologize, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you finish your thoughts when we come back. One eight hundred nine nine native is the number to call if you have a question. There are any number of decisions that go into planning a family, but there are also unexpected things to adjust to, no matter how much thought goes in ahead of time. We'll talk about what to expect and how to expect the unexpected when it comes to family planning. That's on the next Native America Calling. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about a proposed lithium mine in Nevada and what it means to tribes in the area. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 1-800-996-2848. Has there ever been a situation in your community where a proposed mine created division among your people? Tell us about it, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line now is Chairman Arlen Melendez. And Chairman Melendez, before we went to break, you were sharing uh, a little bit of the exploitative history of mining companies in Nevada, please continue your thoughts. Uh, yes, uh, what I was saying is that you know the tribes haven't received any, uh, hardly any revenue equivalent to what uh, you know sh they should be given. They'll get they'll nickel and dime you, give you a few things, uh, you know, to kind of appease you. But 
nothing equivalent to a percentage of the tax or anything like that. So, uh, but uh, the reason we really got involved was when you really look at the largest lithium mine in the United States, and if the Reno Sparks, even though we're some distance away, didn't get involved, who would? You know what I mean? Uh, so somebody has to stand up for the protection of, you know, of the land and the water and the animals and the sacred sites and those things because, uh, you know, we're only one in the Burns Paiute tribe, I think, of, of Oregon, which is in a different state. They were the other tribe that was basically standing up uh, against this lithium mine, and they were in court also uh, at the last hearing. And then we may have another tribe that uh, uh, also is uh, was trying to, uh, Summit Lake, I believe, was trying to uh, help us out and to try to get into the lawsuit too. So we didn't have very many tribes that really uh, stood up for this issue. So even though it's some distance from our tribe, we're, we had uh, fought the mining issue 20 years ago. And so we had some expertise. We also have a tribal historic preservation officer when, when many tribes don't have that. So Michon Eben, our cultural resource coordinator and our THIPO actually uh, does a lot of work on monitoring what's happening with uh, potential uh, uh, detrimental things that happen to tribal lands. So I think we have a little bit of uh, expertise and advantage maybe over some tribes as far as fighting the fight. So I think it's our responsibility to really uh, stand up and make sure that we, uh, uh, you know, don't let uh, our, our sacred sites and our land and water and eagles and wildlife and all those things just go by the wayside just because to make the it's always about the dollar. You know, it's always about money. Mm -hmm. And even with um, green energy, those type things, you know, there's always when you take something away, there's always something you give up, you know, and that's really what happens. It's a give and take. We you might gain some uh, lithium to do car batteries and you got to dispose of them where, you know, probably dump them in the same hole they dug, you know, so. Right. Uh, right. And so it's just uh, there's always a. Uh, uh, something detrimental happenings, even though they think they're doing something good. And that's how the earth got destroyed. It's not just here. It's in uh, other countries, Argentina. It's happening all over the world with mining and indigenous uh, land, you know, affecting them. So it's not just here. We're seeing this all over the world. And, and uh, you know, just exploitation of tribal values and tribal lands and tribal way of life. And so that's why I think uh, we have to kind of continue to fight this fight. Chairman, thank you for all those insights. Let's go to the phones now. Up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, listening on Keeley, we have Chad Nupa. Chanupa is here. Thank you uh, for the individual that was bringing out the information about the lithium mining here inside our treaty territory, which is, you know, extended clear up into the Canadian border. The jurisdiction really relies on the Lakota Oyate here on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, okay? And so here's our tribal governments, whether it's the Oglala Sioux Tribe and the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. One tribal chairperson, which is my first cousin, by the way, okay, he said he was going to support President Biden's move for mining for lithium in the territorial boundaries here in our sacred Black Hills in the little town called Lead. 
Okay, a lot of our gold was taken from that. And to, just like the gentleman said, we have never been compensated, and it's still setting in trust. And here's the youth, people. Listen to this. It's the youth that are falsifying the discrepancy by saying they are sovereign entities when they're not. Uh-uh. We have a saying in Lakota. We say, they said to us that this land, we can never sell or have any other approach that can cause destruction to it. But it's the youth of the future that are going to make false accusations. Ladies and gentlemen, listening audience, it's our youth here on Pine Ridge because even though all drugs in America is outlawed, they legalize it here on Pine Ridge, and we have the highest death rate of our people, young and old, mainly the young. And so now that they're going to mine for lithium, where are our people making that approach to stand up to this okay. illegality? See, these are all okay. things that are heinous to the rest of the tribe. And I thank you Chanupa, for Chanupa, I really appreciate your, your call. I'm sorry I do have to, to cut you off, though, just in the interest of time. But I do want to give uh, Chairman Melendez a chance to respond because I really do appreciate your comments and I really, really respect your passion and your conviction. And Chairman, uh, as we all know, and as Chanupa points out, uh, longstanding issues there in, in the Black Hills uh, regarding mining, as you talked about earlier as well. And uh, Chairman, do you, do you talk to other tribes? And, and if so, what are they saying with regard to, to these issues? And are they supporting your efforts as well? And I'm thinking about tribes even outside of Nevada. Yeah, in fact, uh, we're going to be holding a, a meeting uh, in a couple of weeks or maybe before that. We're calling all the tribes into Reno here that have an interest in uh, joining us and, and hearing their point of view so we can uh, see who's going to stand up and try to join us on this uh, this uh, fight. And so uh, I think we need to hear from all the tribes, whether they're for it or whether they're against it. I think we need to come together and, and see what their thoughts are because we haven't okay. totally done that, but they know that we are kind of out front on this uh, opposition though. Okay. Well, let's bring another voice into the conversation now. Joining us from the Fort McDermott Indian Reservation is Arlo Crutcher. He's a Fort McDermott tribal member. Arlo, welcome to Native America Calling. Hello there. Thank you for having me today. So. You bet, Arlo. And I'd like to ask you, what are some potential benefits that the proposed mine in Thacker Pass offers your community? Oh, some of the benefits there, that I, I guess uh, overall is uh, kind of involved, involvement with, uh, uh, with the whole process. Uh, we started back, oh, shoot, I forget what year, a few years back, they invited us to go down the uh, whoever wanted to go down to uh, Farmington, New Mexico to uh, visit the Navajo Nation Reservation, their, their coal mine there, because they were talking about kind of a mining this country kind of like that, the way, they, the way they're mining their coal, uh, coal mine down there. So they took us down there, gave us a, gave us a tour of that, that mine and stuff and kind of showed us and explained to us a bunch of things like that, that, you know, this is how we're, you know, kind of modeling after that, how to try to, uh, to mine this to be different than than the than the the normal way of mining, I guess is, and 
and so we had a tour down there. We went down there. That's how we started. There was three of us who went down there, and they invited a, you know whoever wanted to go, but there was only three of us that went. And reason why I got involved in it was was because uh, you know interest the interest that got me was that I wanted to know. You know, it wasn't it wasn't whether I'm for it or against it. Uh, before I can make that decision, I have to know what it's all about. I want to understand it. I want to understand all sides of it. That way, you know, it, it creates it'll create questions for me, for whoever I need to ask these questions. To. That's the way I kind of uh, I, I kind of approach life and everything else and you know, anything I deal with. There's a lot of times I deal with, uh, you know, in my personal life, I deal with state, federal, and uh, local agencies, and uh, and as a as a tribal council member, previous. Uh, chairman of our tribe and vice chairman uh, I use you know I, I dealt with the same thing same entities like that in the same way so um, okay uh, well Arlo earlier uh, you know we heard this uh, story uh, of a massacre that occurred in that area back in the 1800s and um, I understand um, you're not sure you have some questions about the ex the exact location of that massacre and whether or not it's actually near where these proposed mines will be is that true yes uh, I, that that was one of that was one of the main questions i've 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 always had you know when when they came about talked to some of the elders around here and you know asked them what uh, what the stories were on this thing because when this thing first you know when it came out a few years ago and uh, questions were roaming around so I, I asked a few of the elders you know about them so I heard a couple of different a couple of different stories and then some from some people who are like my age and stuff of what their their grandparents had told them that their that their old people had told them stories about that up there and I uh, question I had all the time was that so so where did they say this was located at and that was always the that was always my question and uh they didn't know. They said they never mentioned it, but the, they had the stories about it. You know, that was handed down the way natives always have done this, handing these stories down and stuff like that. And, that. and uh, so I got involved. You know, again, I uh, people looked at me, you know, who were against it, looked at me that, oh, he's for it, he's for this, he's for money and stuff like that. And uh, like I said, I, I want to know, I want to see facts. I, I want to understand all all parts of things before I make a decision on things, and uh, whether it's it's good, whether it's bad. I, I want to I want to understand it all, put it together to where I can understand it before I could even make a decision on anything. So, so anytime things came around, I uh, with this I, I kind of went to the went and found out. I've had a lot of questions, you know, like to archaeologists stuff like that, you know, pertaining to that, to that field. I've had questions on it, and, uh, and I never really got, really got a straight-up answer. And I've always asked, always asked. And, uh, we had the opportunity to go out there and be uh, tribal monitors this past summer. So, so I jumped on board there because, again, I figured, okay, hopefully uh, I can get some answers. So I went out, and, uh, and I asked some questions, and uh, there were some questions I, you know, they couldn't answer. I mean, you know, they didn't have have the knowledge of, and so just being there, being there answered a lot of my questions. 
of 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 how they did the work out there. We were involved in it. We uh, they told us we could either just you know just be there, monitor, you know, just watch or something, or get involved and uh, uh, actually do some of the work with them. And, and so so we did. There was a few of us out there who who engaged in the work and stuff, wanted to learn and understand it a little bit better, and uh, and watched and uh, and learned the process, asked questions, seeing what was going on. So I got a lot of a lot of my my a lot of my questions were answered by just being there and being involved in it and seeing it, seeing how things work, mm-hmm. and uh, understanding. Uh, you know, understanding. You know, like the like that area. Okay. The whole area. Why, well, I, so, yeah, yeah. No, I understand, and I, I just want to kind of ask you a little bit more about the potential benefits there to the community. And I'm just curious, currently, what is the, the economic uh, status of, um, of the Fort McDermott community in, in terms of jobs and in terms of other opportunities for tribal members? It's, it's not too good. You know, we have, a, uh, like right now, you know, there's, there's job openings here, but yet again, uh, uh, people aren't applying for them, and uh, we don't have too much, you know, too much employment. Very little employment here, and uh, and, uh, and but we do have some positions open, but people aren't applying. And the problem we have here again, just like any, you know, all over this country, is that you know, when it comes down to um, uh, drug testing, uh-huh. that's where most of our people fail at. Okay. So, well, so with you know, if, if this mine were to come in. And um, create jobs, create other opportunities. I mean, what do you envision that looking like in terms of the impact, not just economically, but even socially there in the community? Uh, it, well, we, we've had some trainings here. They've put on some trainings for us, heavy equipment trainings and stuff like that for uh, you know for potential people who want who wants to go to work and things like that. So that was done based again the. You know, you had to pass drug tests and stuff like that. So we had we had a pretty good turnout the last few times, and, uh, and then it gives the opportunities for some of our people who who have to leave to go to work, who are who are working in other mines, you know, in uh, other parts of the the state. So hearing from them, you know, it, it's a good opportunity for them too, because it's given them that opportunity to come home and to be able to work, you know, live here at home and work be able to go to work closer here and be able to come home because that's kind of how natives are you know when they they have to move away from home for uh, for employment and stuff like that when they get older they you know they want to come home and that's an opportunity for some of our people to be able to come home we had a lot of people working within the mine industries who was retired and stuff like that we had a mine right across the valley right here the Cordero mine and uh, a lot of our old people work there. They they raise their families through there, and I I kind of had to remind some of our people here is that you know they they grew up in a, a, a pretty good lifestyle. The people who worked at the mines they built their own homes here. They had a they had a comfortable life, but yet you know yet they uh, uh, they preserved the culture, spiritual and everything, and uh, they 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 taught. They taught their kids that way, and some of my cousins, I had to remind them. I said, you know, I always talk about a balanced life. You know, li- living a balanced life as natives, and and that's part of it. And I says, you know, the older people, 
they probably didn't even realize it, but they were living a balanced life because, again, you know, you you, you have to you have to live in two worlds to survive anymore today. You know, you uh, you know you have to live. You have to make a living, and certainly, then certainly to be able to preserve your culture and everything like that. You know, practice that. You got to do that. So you're you're you got to balance your lifestyle. I've seen that in my dad a long time. I never thought my dad was like that until I recognized later on in life that you know he sat outside every night. He sat up there, smoked one cigarette a night. He prayed. Morning, he woke up, washed his face. He prayed. And you know that was his personal life. But he okay. had to live a white world in the, and get into the business of livestock stuff like that to make a living for his family. Arlo, we're going to have to take another break here. Really, really interesting conversation today about this proposed mine in Thacker Pass, Nevada. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Lots of time left to join our conversation about what could potentially be the largest lithium mine in America. Share your comments and questions by calling 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. We're speaking now with Arlo Crutcher. Uh, he's a Fort McDermott tribal member. And Arlo, uh, I want to talk more uh, about, uh, you know, the, the potential, the economic potential that this mine could potentially offer people. And um, any any projections at all in terms of, you know, what the bottom line could be, how many jobs could be provided, uh, how it could raise a standard of living there for, for folks in the community? Oh, um, I guess with the construction of the construction of the mine, they're proposing a thousand jobs there, and uh, then after the construction of it, as the mine gets to going, they say they're supposed to have at least 300, over 300 jobs there, you know, kind of permanent jobs and stuff like that, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, uh, those, I guess those are the benefits of that, and then, then to our tribe. And for our listeners, them. and for our listeners that might not be familiar with with Fort McDermott, I mean, how many tribal members are there uh, that reside in that specific area that could potentially benefit from these jobs? We, we roughly overall uh, overall have about well, I mean, uh, right here in the community, roughly three hundred, three hundred or a little less than that ballpark figure of people here on on our reservation. But we, you know, we've got a thousand or so, um, maybe more, a few more. A thousand members, so most of our our people, you know, they they had to leave, you know, to mm-hmm. to find employment, you know, after they. Right, I remember you. I remember you mentioning that earlier. Um, 
Arlo, you know, a, another part of this issue is, is of course, the fact that, you know, maybe not everybody owns an, an electric vehicle, an EV, but we all have cell phones, we all have electronic devices, and, and these things are all powered by lithium batteries. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I think one of the larger issues here, the key takeaways that I'm getting from this show today is that, you know, as, as tribes, uh, there's this balance between... Um, inevitable in some cases, cultural perhaps, or environmental destruction. But yet there's also this need for jobs and, and economic development and, and, and some of these potential benefits of projects like this mine. And what's your thought on that in terms of, of how do we as Native people find that balance between economic prosperity and offsetting that with the risks that we face to our cultural history and our land and so many other um, intangibles and in some cases tangible things that are so important to us as Native people. What's your thought on that, Arlo? My thought on that is, uh, I, I guess, better education, you know, overall would be better education because it's kind of like right now, you know, uh, we need to encourage our uh, our younger people to get more involved in all of these uh, uh, positions, I guess, you know, like archaeology and, and different things, you know, all these other uh, things that pertain to, uh, to, the, to the problems we're running into today. And uh, who do we have out there representing us? You know, we, we don't have our own out there really representing us. We have other people, and again, who who actually are they really uh, uh, in this for? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's just like uh, just like it's always been. Like Chairman Melendez mentioned earlier on, this is just the way it's always been since the since the white man has uh, engaged with natives. You know, they're they're telling you this and that, and they may be using you in a way. And and so in all aspects of uh, of our lifestyle, there's they're doing that. So that's the reason why I believe that we need to get more of our Native uh, uh, younger people and our youth involved in, in taking interest in in getting involved in these things because these are the things that we're going to be dealing with from now on. I mean, we, we have been, but, you know, it's, gonna, it's getting tougher anymore. And, uh, and you know, the encroachment of, uh, of all of this mining, Gas, you know, even highways, everything, you know, we we need to have that, and that's that's one thing I think that our, uh, uh, you know, like Chairman Melinda's mentioned earlier on of uh, coming together as tribes, is is that one of the items that's going to questions or items that may be possibly on the agenda? That's one thing that I would like to see, you know, if if we as tribes are going to pull together and try to try to find a solution, and that's one thing that. Myself, uh, within our own tribal government, I always try to bring up is that solution, solution. We know the problems. Why are we never talking solution? Sure, sure. Arlo, I really appreciate you joining us today. I'm I'm sorry we do have to move on. We have another guest on the show, and we certainly want to have uh, time for their perspective. So uh, anybody with a question as well, any callers, uh, we still have time to uh, get your thoughts on the the air. 1-800-99-NATIVE, that is the number to call. And let me go ahead now and introduce our, our third guest today, joining us from Owyhee, Nevada, on the Duck Valley Indian Reservation is Gary McKinney. 
He's the spokesperson for the people of Red Mountain and a member of the American Indian Movement Northern Nevada Chapter. He's also a member of the Shoshone Paiute of the Duck Valley Reservation. Gary, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Gary, what prompted you to get involved with this issue, proposing lithium mine in Thacker Pass? Well, where do I begin? Um, you know, where I first started hearing about this Thacker Pass was on the Internet, which was uh, something that, you know, a lot of our elders, a lot of our, our uh, people who are known to practice our religious ceremonies and things, you know, they don't have access to the kinds of things that were available like Zoom links and things. And so part of our whole idea was to be there and be present while these meetings were going on between, you know, there was something called a government to government consultation that was skipped. And so being present in inside of these meetings was important to the people and we felt that a lot of our, our community people, um, you know, intertribal people, not only on the Fort McDermott, but on in these other indigenous communities, felt like, you know, like how these, uh, how Arlo was saying that, you know, it was a lack of education. That's exactly what it is when they're cutting out uh, consultation. And so that's kind of what prompted me to pay close attention to what was going on in the ancestral homelands, you know, not forgetting our roots or forgetting the things that we used to do before colonization happened. And so the people of Red Mountain, our committee, uh, stuck around and we've done a lot of work and a lot of outreach to other communities that are affected by by these, uh, you know, so-called green mining companies uh, because, you know, the whole thing is once you pump your brakes, you know, once you, you're not fast-tracking and you backtrack a little bit, you're able to see that, you know, th this isn't a... a, a a home run deal for any small community. It's it's more or less you're more vulnerable and easier to lure out into the open so that the sharks can get at you. Mm -hmm. And so the whole purpose that uh, we bring in, you know, is that we don't want our our relatives to be out on their own like that. We we we'd rather have all of our relatives in all directions involved in these discussions, you know, because uh, for one. You know, when, when you know, I know when I call the directory, you know, it's uh, press four for the business council. And right there is where we start seeing, you know, while there could be an issue there because uh, the word business and, you know, we, we, we don't want these uh, religious items or sacred sites to become part of a deal within a business. And, you know, that's something where the people need to be informed and well-educated on, and that's just not happening with, Thacker Pass, and, you know, definitely not going to happen to any of these other mines that go along with this template. So first of all is, well, we have to start paying attention to the negative effects, the true negative effects, not the effects that's given to us on a, on a you know, piece of paper that's a result of their, you know, their testing, because we're the ones that's living with uh, so-called reclamation, where uh, Arlo says that there's a... Uh, uh, abandoned mercury mine there and that it employed the community. But what he's not telling you is that it's still contaminating the water table there. You know, our relatives there, um, McDermott is my mom's reservation there. She, she was an enrolled member. And so her, her dad and, you know, her uncles and her aunts were 
seeing that uh, they were working for the 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 mercury mine there, and then after it shut down, it became a super fun site, and it was left alone. That's just the way it was, you know. And so now it's still contaminating, and you know, from where from where I stand, there's a Rio Tinto copper mine that was operating around the same time, you know, abandoned around the same time, and so we, we're also seeing the negative effects of mining. And so I don't think that, um, you know, calling this Dacker Pass thing green, that it's going to save the, the environment, uh, that it's going to, you know, help help uh, find that, that uh, fountain of youth. You know, it's, it's, it's being uh, misinformed and miseducated about those things. And so a lot of the information that, that is uh, good, you know, and the, the true results are, on these live shows or in these webinars and conferences. And so there's a lot of uh, negative effects that nobody is hearing about. And so just the environmental piece is just one aspect of it. Okay. And so Gary, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, we, we have a, a caller that I, I, I want to give time to on the air, but I appreciate you uh, uh, in your regard for, for platforms like our show for helping to disseminate information like this. Appreciate that, that compliment. Folks, we have Dallas, who is listening online in Oregon, uh, just called in. Dallas, hello, you're on the air. Hi, how you guys doing today? We're doing great, Dallas. What's on your mind? Uh, much, just trying to collaborate over here with the brother Gary. Gary, it's uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, I'm Dallas Cummings. I'm uh, Modoc and Pitt River, and been helping out with the Bahima crew now for uh, roughly two years anyways. Um <clears throat> Sorry, I'm I'm a little under the weather right now, so trying to trying to talk with you all is a little difficult. Uh, you know, it, it's it's strange with these lithium mines and how they come out. I understand that their surrounding co or, or states, you know, in those surrounding states, uh, they're trying to push these bills to be in that idea of uh, the green energy transition, and, and again, the lack of knowledge being presented out to the communities, not just as far as native communities go, but all communities in that aspect. Uh, it, it, they, they don't want to push that knowledge. And what comes with that knowledge is understanding, like, you know, uh, for California to pass their green energy bill, they want to be out of the fossil fuel idea uh, by 2030, if I remember correctly, which leaves them uh, roughly seven years, you know, uh, to, to get this type of stuff done. But when you look at mining inside of itself as well, too, uh, it, it's not they, – they would have to fast-track so much stuff. And I just don't think that even if they started pulling the lithium that they could honestly meet that bill. But they also don't talk about those numbers that come with that as well because they're going to have to, to double with their copper. They're going to have to double with uh, a lot of different other uh, mines as well, too, to be able to resource that. But when you think on how that stuff's even made up, the idea of this whole green energy transition is to, to get away from the fossil fuels themselves. But in order to sit there and create these plants or to create even like the, the cell phones or, or the idea of batteries or any of those things, you still have to burn fossil fuels to sit there and make the transition right. happen, and right. even with it being there, uh, we're, we're not we're not completely switching over. There's going to be fossil fuels that gets used more and more and more, and then it's going to be you know at an accelerated rate even more to sit there and try to create this this idea of lithium uh, lithium batteries and, and this green energy transition. And that's the piece that they don't want to hold. Right or, or that they don't want to pass okay. out. That's okay. a piece of, that they don't want anybody to know. Dallas, I really appreciate your call today. And, and you know, I think the thought uh, with a lot of these uh, companies, though, is that as they evolve and as the technology gets uh, better, that at some point they will reach that point where they're more green. But but 
point made, absolutely, that right now there's certainly a lot of drawbacks, as, as you mentioned. We've got time for one more call. We have Akimi listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Akimi, you're on the air. Hi, everyone. I'm calling from Albuquerque. I just wanted to make a few quick comments. Um, I think it's important to recognize that on a global level, um, the United States as a whole is not at the forefront of technology and producing its own means to technology. And so there are incentives from the United States government who, um, you know, incentivize companies like this to not only build companies that produce lithium or certain um, special materials that are needed around the world, but also things that help um, build technology. So I think that's an important factor um, to recognize there and um, also recognize that the company itself would be benefiting from any incentives from the United States government and not the tribe. Um, so there's a little bit of policy work that's interesting to investigate there because I think that those incentives should be shared with the tribe. Um, I also think that there should be incentives for the tribe to protect themselves if there are outside individuals coming to help build this mine or help work there, um, you know, like sexual assault and different things that Native communities experience with this. Um, and then I also like to mention uh, the fact of cleanup. Um, oftentimes, companies, when they sign deals, uh, they're required or like they like are um, guaranteed to pay like 9% of cleanup. And so if a cleanup is like $10 billion, they're going to pay like less than a tenth of that. And how do we get these companies to pay up to 80% of those costs? Because, you know, the lifetime of certain molecules or certain types of chemicals in the earth, they can have like a, like thousands of years of lifetime span. Um, and then also, what type of incentives are they going to offer the tribe as they exist there? Are they going to provide training? Or are they going to provide workshops that are not inclusive specifically to the workers there, but also to the community? Um, and I really appreciate everyone shouting out that this isn't clean energy, that it is, in fact, very detrimental. You know, the only clean energy that I think we have now is solar and wind. Um, why aren't those being developed? Akimi, thank you for, for those great insights. Uh, really good call uh, to wrap up our show today. Um, I want to thank all of our guests as well as our, as our callers who participated. It's uh, been really interesting talking about the challenges and opportunities associated with lithium mining in Nevada. Join us again tomorrow for a conversation around family planning. I'm Sean Spruce. Support from AmeriCorps VISTA, whose members serve to alleviate poverty while earning money for college and gaining professional skills. Rewarding service opportunities can be found at A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Support by StrongHearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreement CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.